1967, quote, Mr. Jones Won't Lend Me a Hand, from Country Joe and the Fish, from the song Flying High. 1968, quote, Feel Suicidal Just Like Dylan's Mr. Jones, the Beatles, from the song Your Blues. 1981, quote, Mr. Jones is all of you who live inside a plan, from the Psychedelic Furs, from their song Mr. Jones. 1998, quote, Mr. Jones is a man who doesn't know who Mr. Jones is. Momus, from their song, Who is Mr. Jones? Mr. Jones is a character that has been popping up in music, particularly rock and roll, for some time. And it all started with a song from Bob Dylan's sixth album, Highway 61, Revisited, in 1965. The song had a notable impact on not only audiences, but the musicians performing on the track as well. Session musician and organist on the track, Al Cooper, said the song is, quote, musically more sophisticated than anything else on the Highway 61 Revisited album. Drummer Bobby Gregg put it more plainly after the group listened to the first playback of the song. Quote, that is a nasty song, Bob. The song is nasty, particularly towards this Mr. Jones character. But who is Mr. Jones? Is he a real guy or just a character? Quote, he's a real person. You know him, but not by that name, said Dylan. Dylan's answers regarding the identity of the man who had become a recurring character in pop music were regularly evasive. In an interview in 1965, Dylan said the following, quote, I'm not going to tell you his first name, I'd get sued. He's a pinboy. He also wears suspenders. In a live show in Japan in 1986, Dylan gave perhaps his most illuminating answer to the question entirely unprompted. Quote, this is a song I wrote a while back in response to people who ask me questions all the time. You just get tired of that every once in a while. You just don't want to answer no more questions. I figure a person's life speaks for itself, right? So every once in a while, you got to do this kind of thing. You got to put somebody in their place. So this is my response to something that happened over in England. I think it was about 63, 64. Anyway, the song still holds up. It seems to be people around still like that. So I still sing it. That's right. We're talking Bob Dylan's Ballad of a Thin Man. On cover me. Because something is happening here, but you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? That's right, it's Cover Me, the only podcast that compares famous songs to their many cover versions to find out which one is where it is. I'm your host, as always, The Snake, joined by my lumberjack co host. Alex Mildenberger. Alex Mildenberger, the lumberjack. <laughs> the lumberjack. Um, what's going on? How are the trees? Uh, th- standing, unfortunately. Not doing a good job, then. So, I mean, I got my eyes on them. <laughs> I'm gonna have to deal with that later. I feel like there's a stereotype that Canadians are lumberjacks. Yeah, well, I mean, nowadays, you see a lot of plaid. Yes. In the sort sure. of lumberjack chic, I don't know how widespread it is. I definitely see a lot of plaid. I think around. it's in. I would. I would say like the Pacific Northwest, so in, including parts of the states like Portland and mm. uh, Seattle areas yeah. like that also share that fashion. Yeah, so we just kind of like get a bit of it because we're like on the outskirts mm-hmm. culturally. I think of that. You probably see even more of it. In Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Everybody out here is plaid. But there's lab. also more people. And I don't plaid see lab, a lot of people, people these days. No? Not even going back into the office? Uh, I see them. But they're not dressed as lumberjacks. Um, but they're around. Lumberjack the Tuesdays? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're only in like Monday, Tuesday, always. So we're going to have to pick one of those. Mm. Um, this week it was ice cream, but we should do a lumberjack. Yeah. Flapjacks and lumberjacks. 
You guys can listen to this song, Ballad of a Thin Man. Alex, we're talking about Bob Dylan again. Yeah, we are. We've talked about Bob Dylan a couple times. I mean, not in, I'm going to say a while, I don't think. But he does come up a fair amount. He does come up, because he is, uh, it turns out he's a music legend. I don't don't, know. Yeah, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, you know what else is a big deal before we get too into it? Your theremin, Alex. Give me a theremin. How's it look? Oh, yeah. Let's do a quick theremin. Um, uh, still, still busy week. Still adjusting. But I did get some more time to, uh, to work through some stuff. I, I'm still struggling to, there's like a, a series of like how to play a major scale and it's tricky. Mm. And I think one of the main reasons is, uh, my, my theremin's non-linear. Uh, meaning that the, f- like, I guess if you compare it to like a fretboard, um, a fretboard, the frets, when you're at the lower frequencies are further apart. And then mm-hmm. when you're up the neck at the higher frequencies, they're closer together. So right. it's similar with the theremin. You don't have to move as much between the higher frequencies as compared to the lower frequencies. Uh. That's how mine works. But there's a way to, you can make them in a way where they are more linear. Right, so it's and an equal step between each. Exactly. So then that's like the, the technique I was trying to learn, which I'm still sort of working with, sort of, um, was really based around that linear version of the field. Right. Um, so it kind of, it's kind of tricky to use the same technique, so I'm like kind of trying to adapt it. But then I kind of realized that I think at the end of the day, I should just be trying to work out melodies more than anything like copy mm. melodies that's i that's the angle i'm going to try to approach it from now because i was thinking about like learning learning like to play the piano and when you first start out they don't necessarily teach you scales right away right, right. it's like learn some songs start learn how the notes kind of sound together get a feel for how playing actually works and get some muscle memory there and then start to talk about um yeah, scales and, and uh, exercises and stuff. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was just trying to work out some, like, basic little melodies, which I was doing before, you know, you get your happy birthdays and stuff, but someone at work mentioned uh, Star Trek, because, you know, it's an, primarily engineers, but apparently the Star Trek theme is uh, ther- on theremin, which okay. I, I just don't know anything about star trek almost that's that's the one that's the one <laughs> that's the one um let me see here i, so I, I don't, don't know, know how star trek i haven't actually looked it up yet i'm looking but it up right now you know it would be good, i think though. original series good good vibrations right yeah supposedly <laughs> that would be good yeah someone told me that's not a theremin but it definitely sounds like one definitely sounds like one so i mean at that point that's like when people tell you, it's like, oh, that's not a bass or that's not a guitar. It's like, well, if I learn it on there, it's yeah, still learning it's still something. Like, yeah, no, I think what it is, like, it's not a theremin, but, like, it's very similar. But instead of controlling it with an antenna, it's just, like, a dial to adjust the frequency mm. kind of thing. So it's like, you have, like, maybe more consistent control. Okay, the, the Star Trek gets into, it starts with a lot of, like, orchestral fanfare. And then when you get into the, about 30 seconds in, there's a bit of what could be a theremin in the mix. Yeah, so maybe, maybe I'll I'll listen to that. We'll see. Maybe, and then we can do an episode on the Star Trek theme. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, old sci-fi series probably had a lot of theremins, well, but yeah. I cannot confirm that. It was the sound of the future for a while. 
Now it's the sound of the future past. Yeah. Speaking of the past, Alex, 1965. 65. Long time ago. Long, long time ago. I mean, this is a song that's old enough to be referenced in Beatles songs. Yes. Uh, it's really contemporary to the Beatles. The Beatles, of course, spent some time with Bob Dylan. Hell yeah. He supposedly introduced them to some drugs. I introduced him to cannabis. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories because yeah. he just like misinterpreted one of their songs as like, oh yeah, he did smoke weed. <laughs> he came up there and they're like, oh, what? Oh, we've never done this before. And he's like, you're gonna fucking love this shit. And they did. Oh, they did. They super loved it so much. So yeah, like we said before, he has uh, had a pretty, pretty significant impact on like music and we've talked about his songs a lot in the past we've talked about um a lot of covers of his songs you know he yeah. wrote songs for other people and did de- wrote like recorded demos that never got released at the time and other people then recorded those songs things they like that it. yeah that was uh the eskimo right yeah mighty quinn mighty quinn yes yeah we've done uh, mighty quinn we did forever young the bob dylan song not the alphaville song, the alphaville um, song. there's another one we've done as well there is. I'm struggling to remember. But yeah, Bob Dylan. Uh, And it's funny because I, as much as every time we pull up a Bob Dylan song, I'm like, oh, this is good. I'm I'm still not a Bob Dylan fan. Like I barely know his works. Yeah, I have like gone through a couple of the albums and I do like, like I have a mind of like some of the songs, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, like the, off this same album is like uh, like a Rolling Stone. That's a big one, right? That, like, yeah, uh, Rolling Stone magazine called it the number one song of all time. Maybe just rock and roll for a long time. Uh, it's no, been it dethroned recently. Greatest song of all time um, until Aretha Franklin's R.E.S.P.E.C.T. But it's still pretty high up there. Deserves, yeah. So I mean, maybe just because he shouted them out by name, but yeah, I wonder if that was just so they're like <laughs> it's well regarded. Like it's like we like the Rolling Stones and songs about Rolling Stones for no reason in particular. <laughs> it's just yeah, well, come on, guys, that's rock and roll. Um, so that's the one I really knew, and I was aware of this song, kind of. Like I knew he had a song. I, I was actually more aware of Your Blues by Blues. the Beatles, um, yeah, me too. Because actually, because of the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, mm. which I like, I had the CD back in the day, and and um, a group a super group that was put together for that performance uh, by John Lennon, I think. Or it's, it's like John Lennon and like the drummer from the Jimi Hendrix experience and like um, fucking uh, other famous people. Hell yeah. Are these uh, famous people famous like the, the, the musicians for this track who are all like big deals, but it's also because they were just like, they worked a lot in the 60s. No, this is like Keith Richards and like oh, okay. the guy yeah, from the Jimi Hendrix yeah, experience Stones, like. and whose name escapes me. Mitch something. It's like Mitch Mitchison. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Um, and like, yeah, John Lennon singing. So it's like like a super group. They didn't. They just did like the one performance and they perform your blues. Your blues. <clears throat> so pretty cool. That's where I knew it from primarily. And that's why I'd heard of Dylan's Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones, I think I have listened to Highway 61 years ago to try and get into Bob Dylan. Um, because I knew as soon as I started playing this one, I knew it. I was like, oh, yeah, Ballad of a Thin Man. Yeah. It's iconic. 
also, it bears two similarities with last week's song. One, centering on a character called Mr. Jones. Mm-hmm. Two, being just wordy as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're both very, very lyric heavy. Um, this one, I would say, in terms of story, is a little less straightforward. Yeah. A little more steeped in metaphor. Steeped in metaphor, but also I felt like once I gathered enough of the quotes from yeah, history, from it became pretty clear. Interviews and stuff. And also, as compared to someone who was compared to Dylan um, Springsteen, uh, mm-hmm. when we talked about Blinded by the Light, that one talked about a lot of stuff and like the similarly more easy to analyze if you like read the interviews surrounding it right like it was more about like a feeling that is more universal i think uh like being a young person who wants to succeed um in fact that's more related to mr jones last week uh as well thematically uh whereas this is seemingly very tied to like being a a leader kind of of a movement yeah this is seven verses to say fuck you to some dude (laughs) or some groove perhaps yeah some i think it is both an individual and uh like an archetype or a group yeah because now i watched a it was a like polyphonic video where he touched on some of the stuff uh on this and it's a fairly widely interpreted song so like yeah oh yeah um and the conclusions seem to be pretty reasonable um, but there's a couple names throughout. Uh, there's a Jeffrey Jones who has claimed that he is Mr. Jones. Is that the Rolling Stone journalist? Um, there were a couple journalists. I don't remember which. He's the one who basically like came out and was like, okay, guys, I'm Mr. Jones. Uh, because right, he like had yeah. a bad interview or something. In 1975, reporter yeah. Jeffrey Jones outed himself in a Rolling Stone article describing how he attempted to interview Dylan at the 1965 Newport Folk Festival. That is, of course... The infamous festival where Dylan was booed for playing an electric guitar as well. I don't remember if that was in 1965, though. Uh, when Dylan and his entourage That's later chanced right. that on the hapless reporter in the hotel dining room, Dylan shouted mockingly, Mr. Jones, getting it all down, Mr. Jones? Uh, yeah, so a person yeah. who has been referred to as Mr. Jones by Bob Dylan. That, yeah. Um, there was also like a Max Jones, although I don't know what the story is with, with that guy. Just another reporter type. A lot of these like older reporters that the song seems to be uh, addressing. Yeah, it seems to be about the old guard of reporters. Uh, Dylan later said when some, in 1990 when somebody asked him if it was this Jeffrey Jones, he says there were a lot of Mr. Joneses at that time. Obviously, there must have been a tremendous amount of them for me to write that particular song. It was like, oh man, here's the, here's the thousandth Mr. Jones. Yeah, so basically kind of taking the the wind out of Jeffrey Jones' sales, being like, yeah, he was a Mr. Jones, I'm sure, but like, yeah, he wasn't the only Yeah, on his one. part to be like, it's me, I'm Mr. Jones, I'm the guy in the yeah. big famous song. Like, but ah, that's, you. yeah, never been confirmed and probably can't be true. Yeah. Although he, Bob Dylan has also said like, yeah, there is a Mr. Jones. I'm sure he had someone in mind, but mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been upset enough to write this song probably if it was just one person just one guy well it's some pin boy who wears uh suspenders who wears suspenders which maybe meant something (laughs) when he said it yeah um to like maybe the idea of someone who wears suspenders would be like someone who's like uptight or something i don't know yeah and a pin boy was somebody who would put up the pins at a yeah like a bowling alley 
Which, what does that imply? What does it mean to be a pin boy? Um, does it mean that you're only asking easy questions in the interview? Like you're pin boy because you're, you're like setting, setting up things up and people just to knock knocking down? them down? Yeah. Maybe. That could be it. Or it's just like a tedious task and he's a tedious man. Just, yeah, repetitive and probably unfulfilling. I don't know. I've never been a pin boy. I hopefully never will be. Um, yeah. So that is to say there's a lot of speculation and a lot of like interview history mm-hmm. that has pointed towards what these lyrics mean. Yeah, and some people of course think it's a uh, a gay orgy. That Yeah, there's some I'm like not totally sure there have been some mentions of like oh there's like homoeroticism in there I'm like eh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, w- I would like say it's, that's it's probably a maybe. in the mix. I would yeah. say it's not the the main purpose of it. Because, like, basically, Dylan, like you said, as as a, a leader, whether he acknowledges or not, of this sort of 60s revolutionary movement, which encompassed, to some degree, uh, people from the, the gay community, mm-hmm. I think was just pulling on some of that imagery of what was shocking to uh, individuals like these Mr. Jones characters, these old guard, button-up, suspender-wearing pinboys. Pin boys. Does that just mean boys. they were pinstripes? Maybe. No, I, I th- according to Wikipedia, it links me to the article on people who set up pins in a bowling alley. Okay. <laughs> but it could also be pinstripes. You're right. I'm still, I'm still envisioning pinstripes, but maybe it all works. I mean, there's so much metaphor when Bob Dylan does things. It's it's very metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I think I mean it seems to get pretty specific in that way, but I think if you want to look at it from a general, um perspective um and i i we should probably get more specific into the lyrics uh pretty mm-hmm. soon um but it, it seems to be about a person who's in an environment and they don't understand what's happening everything is confusing yes. and like grotesque to them yes and the narrator is kind of ridiculing them for that, or seems to be. Yeah, just based on a, his tone. There's a fish out of water story least. where you can be sympathetic towards that person. Yeah, or you can be like, "Hey, man, you'll you'll figure out the ropes as you go," or something. But this is like, "You're a fucking idiot, and you walk in here being dumb. <laughs> you suck so much, I hate it. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here." Like that's really the tone of the song. Yeah, be- begins uh, uh, like this. First one, you walk into the room with your pencil in your hand. You see somebody naked. And you, you say, who is that man? You try so hard, but you don't understand just what you will say when you get home. Yeah, I mean, so a few things. The pencil, first of all, makes him sound like he might be a reporter. He's writing down notes. Yes. Um, we mentioned the possible erotic- homoeroticism, although this just says somebody naked. And then he says yeah. man, I guess. Uh, so there's a naked man. And he doesn't understand that, of course. He's saying, what's going on there? Um but yeah, he doesn't understand it and he doesn't know how to interpret what's going on, basically. Yeah, and some people suggest the pencil in the hand is a penis. Yeah, because um, it's phallic. And it's like, eh, yeah, yeah but what maybe. lunatic walks into a room just fucking pants down? Just dick, dick out. Dick <laughs> out in hand. In hand and be like, why is there a naked person here? And I'm like, who's that guy? Sir, <laughs> you're the one with your dick in your hand. Dick hand. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> Um, yeah, let's talk about the naked man, though. So, yeah, I think yep. it is more a journalist 
than it is some random masturbator who chances upon a naked man. Mm-hmm. Um, the naked man, it's, I guess, so what Bob Dylan said in that quote from the Japan performance is that he said something like, a man's life speaks for itself. Uh, let me okay. see if I can get the the right quote here. He says, I figure a person's life speaks for itself, right? So if you see a naked man in a room, a man who is truly uncovered, there are no secrets to hide. You can see up his butthole if you want. <laughs> like, to ask who is that man, well, he's the naked man. Like, what else do you need to... Everything you need right. to know about that person is visible. But you're not looking. Like, you can't see it. Mm-hmm. It, and yeah, he's, this is immediately Bob Dylan being like, everything is plain-faced and right in front of you. And you try so hard, but you still don't understand, and you you don't know what you're going to tell the world because you are a journalist, or you know tell the city when you get home to sit down and and knock out this piece. You you don't have a fucking clue. That's uh that's my interpretation. What do you think of this naked man? Yeah, no, I mean that makes the most sense to me because I mean my general interpretation was of this was just my general interpretation of the whole thing is there's just like bizarre things going on. He doesn't understand it. Now, if you want to talk about like the nudity specifically, I think there is a connection between like generational changes and like generally we would associate older people with being uncomfortable with, with um, nudity. Like, you know, they like t-shirts used to be underclothes and if you saw someone in their t-shirt that was scandalous right like look at the the bathing suits they used to wear um things like that so and and as we go on you know clothes maybe become smaller and or tighter right well with the the revolution of the 60s also being heavily sexual as well like it's it makes a lot of sense to be like boom naked man yeah so just in terms of that he's like confused by this and it's like it's a naked guy like what do you want what do you want yeah it's it's man in his natural state of being and you can't figure that out Mm -hmm. um yeah that's that's really it so yeah the naked man is like kind of a like a lot of what he is talking about what you what you called bizarre uh situations or things he finds himself in are more just like symbols of the 60s revolution um, it's funny you calling it bizarre kind of paints you as a Mr. Jones, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, considering that we are criticizing music here, I think he might paint us both as I think, Mr. yeah, Jones. we are. <laughs> <laughs> if we're not directly in the camp of being Mr. Jones, we're right on the line. Yeah. Um, yes, he says, because something is happening here, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? Yeah, that's the that's the like very accusatory statement, really. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know, do you? Like he's not trying to explain it. He's not saying it's okay. You know, you you get older and things don't make sense. He's like, you're you're old and worthless. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not directly, but not directly, know. but he is like you are. Yeah, and he'll get into like talking up the dude's credentials a little later, and then being like, "But you're still a fucking idiot." Mm-hmm. But <laughs> we don't get there yet. Yeah, he really is. It's just the refrain is this scathing like things are happening. You don't know what it is, do you? You're not very smart, are you, Mr. Jones? Yeah. Which is, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of that mindset. It's very, it's very exclusionary, you know? But it, is. it was a different time. We've, we've learned since then. I yes, think. and this is also from the perspective of an artist who's being bombarded by questions that to him might be quite simple. That's true. He's just like, why do people keep asking me this? Like, listen to the music. And later on, we'll see that sort of a, a statement as well. 
Yeah, and there's also there's a sort of like Zen master quality to that. If you read like these the stories of people studying under Zen masters, it's always like ask them a question and they give you some answer that either sounds mean or sometimes they straight up like hit you with a stick and you're like, what the <laughs> fuck. <laughs> it's like, and yeah, so pay attention yeah. and you would know. And you would know. So there's some of that going on here too, whether intentionally or not. Um, verse two, you raise up your head and you ask, is this where it is? And somebody points to you and says, it's his. And you say, what's mine? And somebody else says, well, what is? And you say, oh my God, am I here all alone? Yeah, I, I didn't find any specific meaning in, in the phrases of this verse personally. Um, because I, I kind of viewed it as like, um, purposeful non sequitur. Like he's asking these questions and he's getting responses, but they don't mean anything to him. And mm-hmm. because of the way the song is is um, framed, it's, it's written in the second person, right? Yes. Saying you, you. So you walk into the room, you are asking a question, and then he provides an answer in the song, but it doesn't make any sense. So now you have asked a question, got an answer, and not understood it. Mm-hmm. Which I think is just. It's like you might as well be talking gibberish to these guys because they don't know what you're saying. Yeah, and he, uh, he as well doesn't know what they're saying. There's something in, like, the, it's his response. I don't quite understand. Is this where it is? It's his. Somebody yeah. on Genius suggested you need to flip the order of words, but that's still, I mean, like, the order of, uh, uh, like, quotes. So I think they said, it's is this where it is? And then somebody says, well, what is? And then somebody said, like, he flipped the lines, and it didn't make sense in that way either to me. But the yeah. uh, the direct response between what's mine and well, what is seems to me very indicative of the kind of conversations that like hippies of that era would be having. It's like, what is ownership, bro? Like, what's mine? <laughs> Shit, I don't know what is. Or what is anything? Yeah. Yeah, and then he's like, oh my god, these people are fucking crazy. Yeah. Whereas at least the one person is engaging him again in the in the the, the language of the revolution, and he just doesn't have the 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 way to process that he doesn't understand it yeah exactly and then just is like oh no i can't i was wondering about this one because yeah he kind of says like ah, i'm all alone i can't understand but i don't know if the song is actually going for this but it's also very clear he doesn't really make much of an effort to understand he just asks a question gets a response and is like i have no friends here like he's like oh fuck yeah <laughs> yeah he doesn't try very hard you're right so yeah i don't know if the song's actually going for that because it's a bit of a next yeah step. maybe speaking to his effort too i he like um, the the picture of mr jones here is not a kind one in in any means no and I think every verse, uh, yeah, kind of paints new flaws on him. So, yeah, being lazy in his efforts as well would not surprise me as being one of Bob Dylan's intents. Uh, but, yeah, that's verse two, I think. I think we, we've covered that in detail. Yeah. Refrain happens again. You don't know what's happening here because you're a dumbass. Verse three, <laughs> you hand in your ticket and you go watch the geek who immediately walks up to you when he hears you speak and says, how does it feel to be such a freak? And you say, impossible. Impossible. He hands you a bone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so now we get this freak show imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, so geeks are sort of a, it's a, they're like a, a circus sideshow freak show thing. Basically a person who would like eat raw live animals, typically yeah, known as like chickens. biting chicken heads off. Like yeah. live chickens, I think? Yeah, it was, they were straight up just like cannibalized, I mean, like you can cannibalize, but like 
just carnivore in nature eating a chicken raw like yeah and uh it sounds pretty rough um i mean i just reading the wikipedia page it was like yeah they would get like drug addicts and stuff and be like yeah eat this chicken we'll give you money or whatever so yes. not not a great practice but anyway associated with with freak shows and then of course the sort of i guess irony of the verse is now the freak walks up to him and says calls him a freak yeah as soon as he hears him he's like this guy is out of place he's a freak. He's like how does it feel to be such a freak and and again the mr jones is so stuck in his ways yeah. he can't even consider flipping perspective and being like am i the strange one here he just says impossible (laughs) no that can't be um but the imagery is i think really cool in this one because it's like all kind of tied together because i mean we have this explicit story of this circus freak talking to this guy but also Mm -hmm. this idea that that is how mr jones views people who are different from him in particular here you know bob dylan and his ilk yeah um and then at the very end the uh hands you a bone now this is the circus freak who consumes living definitely raw definitely full of bones (laughs) animals so there's actually a bone involved in that physical bone but he's also Mm -hmm. also like the idea of like throwing you a bone of like giving you some assistance right yeah, truly, he is perhaps one of the kindest um, members that we will encounter in this song, because he actually reaches out to uh, to Mr. Jones and gives him a pretty good question, like an actual thought-provoking question. This isn't the sort of navel-gazing of the last verse, like, what is man? This yeah. is like, how does it feel to be a weirdo? Like, here you go. This is And the then he just shuts down the question. He, like, he rejects the, qu- the premise mm-hmm. to use a, a recent-ish political talking point <laughs> point yeah yeah he's handed opportunity and he just flat out is like nope impossible yeah he never stops to consider that maybe he's the outsider here or maybe his his worldview needs to be uh, adjusted adjusted yeah to to find something out of this yeah and he hands you a bone which is people also think that's him you know putting his dick in his hand or whatever right because it's more more potentially phallic imagery yeah i mean maybe i still don't know exactly what the significance would be but like you said at the time i'm sure there was some like um i just don't i just don't really know i think were there like it's like, like seasoning right it's gay like, it's acceptance not the movements in the 60s the there oh, must yeah. have been it must have been it was free Forget- love dude and that yeah. included everyone True. And everything free love i think homosexuality was still probably illegal oh yeah so you know stuff had to happen Stuff had to happen. So yeah, you get you get this this the chicken the, the live animal eating man being like, hey weirdo, let's let's be <laughs> fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then we come to verse four. You have many contacts among the lumberjacks to get you facts when someone attacks your imagination, but nobody has any respect anyway. They already expect you to all give a check to tax deductible charity organization. Um let's cut there. Yeah, because it's kind of split one. in half. That's almost like a bridge there. Yeah. Uh because it is a little different. Um, so we, now we've got this, uh, more imagery of lumberjacks, more, another little metaphor, uh, that you referenced earlier. So what are the lumberjacks? They're journalists. Some people I think will tell you it's another gay thing. Right. 
but I don't. Trees are dicks now. I don't know. Dicks. I don't actually know if I read that anywhere. I don't think I did. Hyper masculine and therefore gay. Is it like you know you go far enough left, you're on the right. <laughs> it's, get, it's a circle. The system only reads up to 256. So once you go to 257, you're actually at minus actually world. Like, back at zero. You roll yeah. over. Um, but actually, it seems to be yeah, like you said, journalists. Like they're mm-hmm. literally just destroying trees. Yeah, not to mention the because there would have been an environmentalism angle to the revolution as well in the nineteen mm-hmm. sixties. So lumberjacks are not only destroying nature, but they're doing it to to publish these cheap rags that have unimaginative opinions uh, of shitty journalists like Mister Jones. Right, I think calling a journalist a lumberjack, i.e., like you're not worth anything more than just like paper. Mm-hmm. Even though you're writing on that paper, it's might you might as well not kind of thing. Is yeah, pretty uh, derisive to write. Is that a word? I think it's derisive. Derisive could be because it's derision, though. If you were, (laughs) yeah, Hmm. could be derisive. It's negative, but it's also derivative. No, yeah, it is negative. It's scathing, you might say. It is, uh, yeah, to be like, oh, you're you're a machine for converting trees into paper and not a lot else. Yeah. Um, Um, and they give they give him facts. Yeah, they they hide amongst these facts, um, and they're they're a little gang, or a little gang. And anytime your imagination is attacked, say by some some uh, you know live animal eating dude who hands you a bone, you run back to your your lumberjack friends. You're like, uh, help! My imagination hurts. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting line. It seems to be about hiding behind facts to hide your lack of imagination. So that does seem to be a bit of a yeah, sixties ish. Um, suggestion that like facts are boring and you need to like imagine what could be kind of thing and they can't so they don't change or something like that yeah all he's able to know is that there's a naked man in the room he doesn't understand why there's a naked man in the room right he can't imagine he can't imagine it um but even i guess even amongst this gang of lumberjacks nobody has any respect anyway they already expect you to all give a check to tax deductible charity organizations what do you think? About yeah, it seems like, like the toughest one to read. I think kind of saying like, oh, you're you're just you're just if you donate, you're just donating money because like it's expected of you. You don't actually care about the people that you're in theory helping. And it, yeah, and it has to be a tax and it's tax charity. deductible. So it's like you're not actually like losing out mm-hmm. necessarily. The money's coming back to you more or less. I uh, don't know exactly how that works out uh tax wise but um yeah it's not the gesture it may seem like and he's only doing it because other people expect him to or he thinks other people expect him to yeah it's uh it's pure pressure like a cog in the machine he's almost like inhuman because yeah you're given to charity organizations for the tax cut yeah and only because it's expected of you so yeah it, like he can't even imagine like imagination maybe is also empathy it's like you can't even picture being in these other people's shoes. You can't, you don't even know why you're giving that check if not for the tax rebate. Yeah. 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 And you don't really care. Yeah. And now we come to cut into his credentials here in the second half of this bridge. Ah, oh, you've been with the professors and they've all liked your looks. With great lawyers, you've discussed lepers and crooks. You've been through all of F. Scott Fitzgerald's books. We're very well read. It's well known. It's well known. 
Yeah. Another part, I guess this ties in with the the donations, right? Mm -hmm. Suggesting that it's all image. It's all kind of a facade. Like, like even though he's associated with intellectualism, they they liked his looks, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's all they got out of it. He looks good. Um, he's discussed things. I don't really know what the lepers and crooks line is all about. That's things lawyers would talk about, right? Criminals and I guess so. Yeah, in the yell. So it's uh, lepers being lawyers, yeah. kind of outcasts generally. I think. Yeah, that that's more of like a biblical thing. Oh yeah, but, and like but in the context of the Bible, lepers would be outcasts. Yeah, so. Outcasts. Yeah. Um, and then F. Scott Fitzgerald, which means a couple things. Um, one thing I learned: F. Scott Fitzgerald only wrote four books, so okay, it's like so not much. Not it doesn't take much to read them. And like I read The Great Gatsby; it's not very long. I don't know what the other ones are like, but Great Gatsby is like a pretty tight book. Mm-hmm. Um. He's also very well known and well regarded. So, like, if you want to talk about an author whose name people would recognize, it's a good one to go for. So, once yeah. again, it's for show. Um, and then, of course, he wrote *The Great Gatsby*, uh, which is a book where there's a guy who's like kind of faking being a member of high society. That's right. So that's kind of the three points that I got out of it. Yeah, that's right. And he like yeah, like you said, popular at the time. So it was he was he's just a man of the moment, really. It's like, oh you read the the recent this would be like you you read all of JK Rowling's books. It's like <laughs> great. But you're right, there's a greater significance with the great Gatsby tying than there would be with a, a Harry Potter book. Yeah. Um I've heard I read that there's a kind of double meaning on you are very well read. And oh. that oh you've read a lot of books, but also like you are easy to read. Um you can see all this at a glance. You're so, like, I kind of like I can understand you. Like, I see mm-hmm. you. Yeah, you're transparent. You you are, can't understand me, kind of thing. Like, like Bob Dylan said, there's thousands of Mister Jones. He's like, you're yeah. all part of this archetype. Um, Which is a yeah. bit like <laughs> a bit pretentious, a bit presumptuous. Be like, you think you understand, but you don't. But I actually do understand you, and I know that for certain. <laughs> Yeah, that is a bold claim to make. But, yeah. Uh, hey, you got to make big claims sometimes. Yeah, you do. I mean, especially if you're in a diss track, like you can't waver. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um. Then we come to verse five. Well, the sword swallower, he comes up to you and then he kneels. He crosses himself and then he clicks his high heels. Without further notice, he asks you how it feels. And he says, here's your throat back. Thanks for the loan. Yeah, so this is like the big alleged dick sucking verse. Right. Because we got a sword swallower. Religion as well. Yeah. We got a sword swallower. Swords are dicks, maybe? Who knows? We're also, we'd be talking about freaks, so it like fits in with that. Um, He's got high heels on, so maybe there's some cross dressing going on. Mm -hmm. Suggesting femininity. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously talking about throat. He's literally giving him throat. Yeah, here's your throat back. Thanks for the loan. So those are kind of the points of that. I, I'll admit I didn't really understand the significance of all those things because, like, I've seen them apart. But I'm like, how does that fit in with the theme of the song? Um, it comes. It all comes together in the the final lines. There, he asks you how it yeah, feels. Yeah, that's the says, big here's one. Your throat back. Thanks for the loan. Um, and I think what he means. I think the question. How's it feel? You just saw a dude swallow a sword. What's one of the first questions on your mind? 
how does that feel, right? Like sure. sucking back a piece of metal. Uh, but the sword swallower has just asked you that question because he borrowed so it's your kind of to similar to the geek, where it's like we've turned it around. Mm-hmm. But here, I think he's speaking more to the the almost spineless nature of Mister Jones that he's a mouthpiece for hire. Okay. That anyone can come and use him how they see fit. Right, like his voice just parrots things that maybe other people have said or told him to say. Yeah. And so this sword swaller is able to just come up to him, kneel, um, and maybe crossing himself has something to do with that, being like, hey, I'm a man of God. I crossed myself, and that's all it takes for me to, to take advantage of your throat. <laughs> Right, and also maybe ties in with the possible cross-dressing. He's crossing Yeah, it himself. could be that as well. He crosses himself. He's yeah. wearing high heels. There's a lot of things that might tie in with each other. This, mm-hmm. I think, was the one of the tough, definitely, I don't want to say the toughest verse, but definitely one of the tougher verses for me. Yeah, I agree, because it is more, like, the other ones have a lot easier clues in them. Yeah. Or is this one is like strong imagery up front and then some weirdness at the end and you kind of got to go, oh, what? Yeah. what's happening here? Yeah, like all those things make sense together, but mm-hmm. yeah. No, I do think it is ultimately just him being like, you, not only are you just some lumberjack whose words are of no value, but they're of no value because you have no true vision. Like you can't see shit. You're just right. for other people to They're not your words. Use. Other people are borrowing your throat your throat for you to pronounce things and yeah i would say he's directly drawing towards because he could have said here's your mouth back but he says throat to to bring it towards that that dick sucking uh (laughs) imagery i guess sometimes you gotta bring out the dick sucking imagery dog that's that's one of the main main tools in any uh in any lyricist kit dick sucking imagery um we come to verse six now you see this one-eyed midget shouting the word now, and you say, for what reason? And he says, how? And you say, what does that mean? And he screams back, you're a cow. Give me some milk, or else go home. Or else go home. Yeah, so similar to the second verse, in that there's this sort of uh, an exchange where there's a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. And he's asking, perhaps, I mean, very general there's very general questions in this, but there's kind of questions back and forth, and no one knows what's happening. But then, of course, the milk, which seems to be like, maybe he's like milking the, that's like the same old thing, right? You're milking the concept? I can't totally tie it in. I would say, you're a cow, give me some milk or else go home is like, you know, it's, it's close to like, wake up, sheeple. So you are a uh, <laughs> you're an animal built for capitalism. Either shoot out your product for me or fuck off. Like I have no you have no purpose beyond being this cog in the the machine. A cow. a cow in this case. Um, as for the conversation, it's the, yeah, the midget says now, and you you say for what reason? Like quit. <laughs> There's no there is no question to now. Like now is just now true this one doesn't start with like verse two starts with him asking a question and not understanding the response Mm -hmm. whereas this one someone gives him like a command and he's like asking why and it's like i don't know i just i'm running out of um stuff running out of steam here yeah running out of steam yeah people think the one-eyed midget's a penis does that help you 
Ah, uh, more dicks, yes. And they, th- and they think the milk has come. Yeah, again, I just don't understand how that ties in with the rest of it. It's, yeah, given just, like, how much this, like, every other verse is pretty well proven to be about how Mr. Jones is a dumbass, like, blind journalist. And it's like, now he's talking to a, a, a penis. Like, what? Yeah, and, now, and now he's jacking off. It's like, well, I don't think so. <laughs> and, like, talking to a dick that's screaming at him. I would say, like, yeah, truthfully, this is just kind of verse two reworked around a little bit because it is more so him again just not understanding the revolution but also i guess being well read where the guy the midget's like you're a cow so listen give me your product or, or go you know just get out of here you're you're a one purpose object don't come here asking me questions <laughs> <laughs> don't second guess me you don't, don't know what's going me, on here fucking guy what does this mean Again, asking the wrong questions. Mr. Jones does a lot of asking the wrong questions, I think. And this is just another verse proving that, if nothing else. Yeah, um, I guess that's a big part of it. Yeah. It's the wrong question. And finally, the final verse. One more. All right. One more. Well, you walk into the room like a camel, and then you frown. You put your eyes in your pocket and your nose on the ground. There ought to be a law against you coming around. You should be made to wear earphones. Wear earphones. So there's a couple lines here that um, get referenced in a quote. Yes. You didn't read the camel quote, did you? I did not. Okay. I got written down here. Hit me with um, Again, talking about Mr. Jones. I don't remember the context. Uh, I said he's a real person. You know him, but not by that name. Mm-hmm. I saw him come into the room one night and he looked like a camel. He proceeded to put his eyes in his pocket. I asked this guy who he was. He said, That's Mr. Jones. And I said, I asked this cat, Doesn't he do anything but put his eyes in his pocket? And he told me he puts his nose on the ground. It's all there. It's a true story. <laughs> so there's a guy. There's a guy who did this. Apparently, looking like a camel means like kind of a fake smile. His camels yeah. look like they're smiling all the time. Had to look that up. I thought maybe it was like he was smoking, but I don't think... Oh, yeah, like a Joe camel. Yeah, I, I don't think um, Bob Dylan would be like, this fucking guy was smoking. What an asshole. Like, no, yeah. no. How Bob Dylan was you. also smoking for sure. For like, sure. Like, the, it was the 60s. Um, so that seems to be what it is. A fake smile. Yeah, and then that immediately flips to a frown when he, of course, he discovers that he's alone in this room, and he he puts his eyes in his pocket and nose on the ground. He's shutting himself off. Like he's like, nope. Yeah, so he's not he's not seeing things. I don't know exactly what it means to put your nose on the ground, other than if it's the same as putting your eyes in your pocket, but for your nose it means that I guess he misses smells, which is sometimes used as a metaphor for like problems. Mm-hmm. But like even in programming, we talk about code smells, code like smells. indications within code of like bad choices, bad design oh, and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think you yeah. you combine this with you should be made to wear earphones, which I think he means more like as mufflers than to like jam out to a Walkman or something, <laughs> which wouldn't have been around in '65. True. Yeah, it would isolate him. So, like, you might as well not listen either kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you're, you're going to put your eyes down and not, you know, sniff around to, to get a, an idea of where you are, put on earphones, too. Fuck you. You don't, you don't deserve any of this. Yeah. Or potentially the opposite, kind of, in that, like, I know I've seen this sentiment expressed 
in interviews with artists and also like with actors where like they're in the interview and they're like, oh, have you seen the movie? And they're like, oh, no, I didn't see the movie. And they'd like get really annoyed. Like, why are you asking me questions about this movie? Why are you interviewing me if you haven't seen it? What's the point? Or like, if you haven't listened to the album, why are you asking me questions? So that was the other thing I thought of there. So like you should be made to actually listen, like really listen to this because then maybe you'll get it. But if you don't listen, you won't. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a generous interpretation. I think it plays against him saying there ought to be a law against you coming True. around. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, I think is pretty straightforward line. Yeah. I don't want you around here. Uh, but yeah, maybe it is. You should be made to wear earphones because something's happening here, but you don't know what it is. So he's saying you should just be getting the music played through you nonstop until you figure it out. Yeah. You dumb old sack of yeah, shit. Yeah, dingus. Yeah, dingus. Um, yeah, ultimately, verse seven, this dude sucks. That's <laughs> Mr. Jones continues to suck. Very different from Mr. Jones in Mr. Jones, where yeah. Mr. Jones is a friend. A friend. This Mr. Jones is not a friend. It's, yeah, not a friend. Does not have a flamenco guitar playing dad. Uh, no, this Mr. Jones sucks. Also, my last thought on this is if Bob Dylan today released a song about hating journalists, it'd have a much different vibe than hating journalists in the 60s. <laughs> hating yeah. journalists now is much more like Van Morrison now vibes. Yeah, at least, like, it's journalists, but it's music journalists, right? He's not yeah. like, fuck the New York Times or whatever. Yeah. And maybe he is, like, music section or whatever, but he's not. he's not like that, what is it? I guess fake news is the... Is the word these days? Yes, the buzz term. Yeah, it's not like Bob Dylan's going like, "You reported on World War Two. That shit never happened." Yeah, you're like, <laughs> that's a different take. Yeah, this is just. He's like, you're you're talking about me in a way that clearly reveals you have no idea who I am. Yeah, or what I'm saying. Or what I'm saying. Yeah, it and is he's ultimately getting that. sick of it. He's fucking tired of it. And so he made a six-minute song about it. Seven verses. Yeah. He wrote a lot of words. Get about this thing. Um, Let's talk about the people who put the music down on this track, uh, which is an all-star cast all around here. Yeah, Um, not necessarily recognizable names. Yeah, not, like, immediately, but... uh, Yeah, it's quite a a lineup. Starting with the uh, record producer himself, we got Bob Johnston, who oversaw the session. He's best known for working with Dylan, Leonard Cohen, Simon and Garfunkel, and Johnny Cash, all artists who have been discussed on Cover Me. Um, That's true. That, we have talked about all of those. All of those. Look at us. Huh? Who thought? We're covering ground. I mean, we've been at this for a while. We've been at it for a minute. Um, so on guitar for this one, it's not Bob Dylan. We got Mike Bloomfield, who is a famous guitarist and composer, uh, well-respected for blues. He was number 22 on the 2003 list of 100 greatest guitarists of all time from Rolling Stone. He dropped to position 42 in 2011. So that's the guitarist on here. We've got Bobby Gregg on drums, who is a drummer and record producer, worked on The Sound of Silence with Simon and Garfunkel. Pretty good. Pretty good. Harvey Goldstein on bass, also the bassist for Miles Davis sometimes, and he worked with The Doors on the Soft Parade album. Nice. I like the Soft Parade. Love the Soft Parade. 
Um, we got Al Cooper on Oregon, who I talked about a little bit earlier. He organized the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Didn't stay with the group for very long, so we didn't get big with them. But that's, uh, I mean, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, big group. A lot of, like, jazz stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Or, so you the, know, that had been mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And so this, uh, Al Cooper also played French horn and piano on You Can't Always Get What You Want by Rolling Stones. He's a prolific okay. studio musician, and he managed and produced the first three Leonard Skinner albums. Yeah, he also I looked I checked has worked with Alice Cooper. <laughs> so Al Cooper and Alice Cooper, that's yeah. awesome. Don't know what they did. Didn't look Sung into out. it that closely. Um, although Al Cooper spells his last name with a K. With a K, yeah. Like like if you were a, a British person saying Koopa Troopa. <laughs> <laughs> a Cooper Trooper. Oh, it's a Koopa Trooper. Oh, I step on that Koopa Trooper. <laughs> that's all i got uh, core blimey <laughs> core blimey um and dylan this guy named bob dylan i don't know on vocals and piano yeah vocals and like he wrote the words probably yeah yeah he certainly wrote can you imagine if bob dylan had somebody ghost write this track <laughs> <laughs> yeah like of all the tracks yeah um so yeah and what we get here is a pretty solid blues piece it's long it's six minutes but it's pretty steady um, it is relies heavily on this piano that is inspired itself by Ray Charles. I believe to my soul. I believe to my soul, which is not a song I know. No, me neither. But I gave it a listen, and you can hear the influence pretty clearly. Yeah, yeah, it's there. <laughs> but I mean, I've said before, I should probably listen to more Ray Charles. Hey, we all should. Just so I know. I mean, maybe I'll hate it. Um. Another thing, we talked about the the um, personnel. This was kind of right before the band started right. working with um, Bob Dylan. So they're not present. But That's I think right. they probably played these songs <laughs> enough because they toured with them and stuff. That's right. There was a live concert. Um, speaking of just them, because that made me think of Because it was the band who was around for the, a lot of the electric shows, wasn't it? Yeah, his early electric shows. There was some show, I wish I put the quote in here, uh, maybe I did, but he like played this song, played the intro to this song for like 10 minutes while the crowd was being shitty, and he was like, we're just going to play- keep playing the intro until they calm the fuck down. Here it is. This is the song Bob Dylan and his band played at the Forest Hills concert in 1965 in an attempt to soothe the unruly crowd. As Al Cooper recounts in Backstage Passes and Backstabbing Bastards, quote, it had a quiet intro and the kids persisted in yelling and booing all the way through it. Dylan shouted to us to keep playing the intro over and over again until they shut up. We played it for a good five minutes over and over until they did, in fact, chill. A great piece of theater. When they were finally quiet, Dylan sang the lyrics to them. (laughs) That's funny. I'm glad it's it works. Funny. Yeah, so just them up on stage going dun, 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 boom, boom, dun, 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 dun. for five to ten minutes. Yeah, with this like kind of organ sustains in the back. And that's how it starts. That's how it starts. Um. Yeah, and you get the, the piano is like really bright kind of like honky tonk piano sound. Yeah, a bit of that like out of tuneness. Um. Which happens a little more later. Um, just like playing those chords. And it's not even mm. doing that much, right? You talked about the... Really gets that low end there. And there's a lot of that sort of uh, deep, bassy stuff um, in this song. Particularly notable to me, anyway, this later on in, in 
in the vocals, but we'll get there. Yeah, it in your hand, yeah. Yeah, so he clears up a bit. Did I mumble? Was that? <laughs> no, I was just mumbling some Bob Dylan. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's how he sings. Um, yeah, you, when he gets to the refrain, he goes pretty bassy. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the refrain. Yeah. Mr. Jones. Um, yeah, I mean, that refrain, obviously, it's like, it's kind of a hook. It gets used as a hook in some of the later versions. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a hook, but I guess it's a refrain, so it's chorus-like enough. Yeah, um, without that, this is just a poem with some blues backing. True. And then, he, like, the delivery of that Mr. Jones line is so, like, accusatory. Yeah. You're like, even if you don't catch the other words, you're like, oh, he doesn't... This Mr. Jones character, like, something's going on. <laughs> Yeah, even just like the the tonal, like the note journey is, and something is happening, but you don't know what it is. It falls so low. It, take, it takes us up pretty high, and then just comes right down. Yeah, interestingly, and maybe just coincidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like comparing this Mr. Jones to Mr. Jones in Mr. Jones, Captain mm-hmm. Crows from last yep. week, it's kind of opposite um, in terms of the like melody. And on the delivery, because he oh, yeah. drops down, Mister, jo- you know, at, right, his as he Mr. goes, whereas Mister Jones it, like climbs up. So you kind of, yeah. I don't know if that was on purpose, but you'd think that if you were writing a song about a Mister Jones, yeah, in the early '90s, you would definitely have "Ballad of a Thin Man" in your mind. Well, especially when you say in the song, "I want to be Bob Dylan." Like, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Directly reference. The uh, author of the other song. Yeah. Um, we're talking around this a bit because, like we kind of said, the instrumentation is pretty simple. Yeah, it's very repetitive. I mean, you get that real bluesy line, and it sounds really good. And, like, you get totally tied up in it. Or I mm-hmm. certainly did. Oh, like, yeah. Like, listening to this, like, just throughout the day, just, like, stomping your foot to this, like, really... It's this really, like, plodding rhythm, you know? Bum, yeah. Bum, 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 and it, like, just has this way of getting stuck in your mind um, in a way that, you know, a lot of those good blues riffs can. Yeah. And then it's just, like, the other instruments kind of just noodling around on the outside of that steady rhythm. Yeah, particularly the organ yeah, does a lot of that yeah. kind of stuff. It's like it kind of has like faster passages sometimes, but there's still a lot of that like ambient, um, like organ chords and and I guess pedals or just like long harmony. I guess is probably mm-hmm. the best way to say it, most general way. Um, but there's also there's some guitar there too. Like you get a fairly short little guitar riff. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, but I mean that maybe I was just talking about the bump. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty like it's pretty sparse on the. It's kind of playing that bump on on the bump, but like you know what I'm talking about in the yeah, intro. Yeah, I know what you're talking. That's about. back in the intro though. Way back um, in the intro. And then there's like a bit of a change once it gets to the verse. Not a whole lot, but like mm-hmm. the drums do change a little bit. Um. And then also in the verse, you get that like descending piano chords, which I think is very cool. They're like pretty spaced out, but like you get that descending thing and you almost don't notice because they're so spaced out. Yeah, but it makes such a, like everything provides such a heavy atmosphere to this song. 
Like it is, it is the ballad of a thin man. It's, it's there's a big dark heaviness to this, and that that's in the descending pattern. It's in the space between chords. Everything lingers. Yeah, it's got that real. I said plotting before. Yeah, and I, I wonder agree if that's with that. the best. I think that is because when I heard that bass too, which is super simple, but it was just like a plod. It's like boom, 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 boom. And then sometimes, like in between, like around fifty-five seconds, maybe like fifty-four, you get that organ just kind of ripping after reverse. It starts at like (laughs) fifty-two. It does a lot of. It does a lot of that where it'll just yeah rip through, which is a cool sound. And also, I mean, more organs on this song means even more. penis references that's right baby and we can't get enough of that cannot get enough of that um the next big change is the uh we talked about it as kind of the bridge what they call verse four mm-hmm. about the lumberjacks and the in the tax deductible charity organization he that's where he, like the highest he sings in this song yeah and it's it's kind of um almost mon- monotonous yeah Tax among the lumberjacks, and you also get like a little. The guitar kind of plays an arpeggio there too. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it doesn't take long for it to go back, right? Yeah, um, it's the second half when we get to the professor verse. It's back to screaming organs and the yeah. I mean, that production. organ like really screams. It's, that's a cool sound. Yeah, it fucking riffs. Um, I wrote, I do like the way in a note. Don't know what I liked, but I liked it. Hey, I liked it too. I like this song. I think it's really good. Yeah. Um, I, there's not. I don't really have much else to say about the instrumentation though, because like it doesn't change up a bunch. Particularly like we've now got like three more verses that are similar, and I mean yeah. there's more intensity because particularly it's the organ, you know, mm-hmm. um, that does more screeching and like. Is he hitting the piano harder? Probably. Logic would dictate yes. And that's what dictates. Doesn't sound that different though. Logic. No. This it does a good job of like encapsulating Mr. Jones as a character. Things are subtly changing around him, but the general structure of the song remains very consistent, very stable. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing is like from that Al Cooper quote from earlier, Mm -hmm. talking about how complex this song is musically yeah like maybe there's just more here you know that i don't can't don't necessarily yeah, understand can't articulate because it does Cause, just sound like solid blues but yeah you're like yeah this is good sound but i don't necessarily understand it yeah i don't know all the science or the all the music theory that is going into making it sound good but i'll tell you this it sounds fucking good yeah so like the increase in intensity is a lot of the time from these kind of like I mentioned before, with there was like piano, like very slow or infrequent uh, piano chords, is he sometimes hard? It's hard to see the patterns because they're so spaced out. So it's like I hear more sounds, but it's not necessarily regular enough for me to be like, oh, that's happening, and again and again and again. You know? Yeah. So that that makes it tricky. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what they were going for. They don't want you to know, Alex. Yeah. Cause I'm a Mr. Jones. You're a fucking. You're a Mr. Jones if I've ever seen one. That's coming from a big Mr. Jones. <laughs> the Jonesiest of Jones. Keeping up with the Mr. Joneses. Um, we got to keep up with these covers because we're an hour in, hour and change in, and we have not. <laughs> Too many verses, man. Let's talk about the yeah. sports. 
And yeah, let's talk about the sports. Something's happening, and you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Joe? You raised up your. Uh, they're Australian. Yeah. And uh, this is from the 80s, so there's definitely like some new wave stuff going on here. Hell yeah. Um, and that's that's an interesting sound. I was not expecting this approach. No. It's like a, I mean, I don't know if it's a drum machine, but it's got a really regular beat. You know? A lot of these are going to switch up the beat. Um, But this has got that real, like, kind of electronic 80s new wave sound. Uh, Vocally, he's got a real, like, kooky new wave thing, like, you know, B-52 style. You walk into the room. You walk into the room. You don't understand. Yeah, so he's definitely, like... It's like that exaggerated style. Yeah. Um, which, like, it's wild that that was such a trend. <laughs> it's just so, like, we... It's, I don't know. It, it's, yeah, like, some dude was like, what if we sang but not, like... Which is, like, weird. And everyone's like, yes, <laughs> right. let's also do that. And so, like, That's what I want to do. Weird that that was so popular for a while. But, I mean, I dig it. I dig it, yeah. <laughs> I'm a fun. big 80s guy. So this, this plays to a lot of my things I like. I like the guitar on this, the sort of like jangly wah guitar. You got a, a jangly guitar and a wah yeah, on this. Yeah, kind of like clean guitar that plays those like quick chords. I think that's also very new wave. Um, That kind of style. Um, Oh yeah, and the wah you said. That lead wah. That wah one comes in like right off the bat. Yeah, plays lots of like short quick sections and then gives it some space, which is always... Um, mm-hmm. pretty common thing, but it's a good sound. Um, and then of course the bass. There's much more of like a bass groove happening. Yeah, and plucked bass right off the bat. There, you can hear them. Boom, bam. It's a very sharp noise. I'm listening for it. It happens at. Let me tell you when. Yeah. Yeah. You can hear. Yeah, got some of that. Um, so it's cool. It's cool stuff. Oh, and I mean, synthesizers. How could we not mention, How the, synthesizers? Could you not mention the synthesizers? So there's no piano. It's all synths. Um, so, I mean, maybe the obvious replaces the organ. Um, so it's a lot of that ambient stuff. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of other ambient stuff uh, that really builds over the song. So, like, in particular, if you compare, like, the beginning of the song to, say, verse 7, uh, which is around the 3 minutes and 50 seconds mark, um, where it's getting the like descending chords similar to the piano in the original, but you know, it just has built so much and brought in more stuff. Yeah, there is a huge like difference in yeah, the volume and the yeah. scale of the song. So you get a bit of that like ambient synthy soundscape stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, real interesting, uh interesting go. Um Yeah. Very new wave. Very new wave. Uh, um, fun vocal yeah. trick they do beyond uh just being new wave vocals are uh when it's quotes when it's somebody's dialogue line they they harmonize oh is that it because i was looking writing like there's no pattern to which lines are harmonized (laughs) (laughs) it's just random um so it's all quotes eh? yeah so it's if if it's like how well you're a cow like those ones will have it how does it feel to be such a that makes sense yeah so yeah yeah if you're like looking for a a more sensible pattern no you won't find it but yeah it's it's all the (laughs) quotes and it sounds cool and it's a good way to differentiate the dialogue yeah they do they do it on the something is happening but 
don't know what do they do it like, in the, do it on the refrain maybe sure. as well uh anyway yeah do yeah. you Ms. so yeah if you want a little more synthy one you know they keep it pretty uh it doesn't change it a ton right like it, it keeps the the structure um yeah. but changes up the sound it's a pretty cool sound yeah, it keeps that darkness, but it, it it's in a new wave context, right? So even though you've got mm-hmm. this bright uh, guitar jangling up top, the synth and this this very like almost naked bass, you can you can see it and hear it clearly, provides some of this like darkness, which we won't quite get on this next track. If you're ready, no. Cool Shaker, in 2002. You know something is happening, but you don't know. What it is to you, Mr. Jones. Interesting group. This is like more of a, what, what did I see them described as? Um, psychedelic rock and like post-Brit pop. Yeah. So there's like some like direct Beatles influence in there. I don't really mm-hmm. know. Britpop versus post Britpop stylistically, but I mean, I know Britpop was very Beatles. Influenced. Yeah, so their big take from the Beatles is uh, Indian music, so using uh, oh. Eastern influences. Their name is inspired by King. Uh, it's spelled K U L A S E K H A R A. I imagine it's that's Kula Shaker, is how you pronounce it, or uh. something close to that. But, it, it but they have romanized it a bit more. Yeah, romanized it further. Uh, Make it a, like a bit of a pun because they're a band. Um, I yeah. saw they were described as a joke band. Not sure why. They don't really sound like a joke band. Just it's based on interesting. This they are like not critically acclaimed. They're actually like critically reviled, but <laughs> relatively popular in the late 90s. <laughs> yeah, that seems to happen. I mean, Led Zeppelin were critically reviled as well. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. We came around on that. Maybe it's just they, they do, they kind of have a Pink Floyd sound to them. And maybe just the sort of excesses of, of psychedelic rock, of Could be. rock, were like not viewed well in that era. Yeah, there's definitely the times where, like, yeah, I mean, it's cyclical, of course, but, mm-hmm. you know, you pass into like a minimalist period. And if someone is maximalist in that time, they get absolutely shit on. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, yeah, what is this shit? I guess going against the grain gets your shit on in mm-hmm. a lot of senses. But this one is very, I mean, I I didn't write maximalist, but now that I've said it out loud, I think it fits. Yeah, I think that's um, the word. We open with this, like, chaotic, like, horns and drums and guitar. Yeah, which, I mean, reminds me of A Day in the Life. Right. For a Beatles um connection right um, it cuts to a very quiet like piano ballad yeah and with mellotron which is like oh beatles also did that mm-hmm. it's very like strawberry fields forever mellotron right yeah so i guess if there is any reason <laughs> to to be critical of these guys it's they do just sound like big fans of the beatles of pink floyd of that era of psychedelic rock yeah i think i mean to me it doesn't sound so much like any of those where they don't have their own identity yeah i would say it's you know they're they're combining the elements of music they like rather than just following blind yeah footsteps. and i mean remember when we were talking about oasis a while back it was like mm-hmm. oh this is just a beatles song for this part here they just do a beatles song <laughs> <laughs> just you know, do the beatles yeah it's... um 
<laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, this is related to Britpop. Um, but they do have a lot. Like, every verse kind of has, like, a change or a change up or something. So, like, you get that Mellotron in the first one. Mm-hmm. In the second one, they bring in, like, a, a guitar riff and a lot of drums and organ harmony. And yeah. then kind of soften up near the end. Then they bring in a bunch of horns. Uh, that mm-hmm. kind of did some building before. That's right. Um, also, I, I noted the bass line there. Um, I I don't know. I don't think it comes in there, but maybe uh, they throw. They cha- do change up the structure a little bit, though. Um, yes. So they do the bridge section, uh, and then at the end, go into a guitar solo mm-hmm. before they get into the refrain. Uh, they don't do the what you might call actual verse four, uh, which is the F. Scott Fitzgerald right. verse, like the back half of the fourth verse, as written by Genius. Um, yeah. and then they kind of have a breakdown verse where they do, you know, another like build in there, mostly on the drums. Lots of scream. I was impressed by the vocals. Um, yeah, and it then, goes hard. Yeah, just like a ton of horns going real hard. Lots of squealing. That is my rundown of the changes. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like you said, it's a maximalist version. Um, I would say dramatic in terms of like vocal performance of the instruments behind it. This is like the tragedy of a thin man. It is really like, my God, what have I done? Like yeah. everything is no, going I get at that. eleven here. I get that. Like and also like I was listening to the vocalist, whose name escapes me, or I didn't know it. Mr. Um, Shaker. Not Mr. Shaker. Uh Mr. Shaker was my father. Um <laughs> and but like I, I keep thinking like, oh, he's already hit a hundred percent, but no, he keeps going. Like yeah, he finds new. Like, ways why to would he hit 100 percent on the third verse? And it's like he didn't. He still had gas in the tank. Like he still. Yeah. Going. So yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty uh, pretty strong vocal performance, I think. Or like he really pushes at the very least. Yeah, they find their Crisp- own identity Crispian in here. Crispin Mills. Crispin, oh, that's right. I knew it was like Crispin Glover. Crisp- Crispin Mills. Um. Yeah, I was gonna say dynamic. Like it's just like it goes up, it goes back down. Yeah. Their use of the the piano riff on the guitar is really nice. Oh yeah. Um, they got some good driving sections where it is just like that drum. They do it for verse two, and they do it for whatever verse I'm listening to exactly right now. Or they put a lot of echo on the vocals too. What does this mean? This is the Urakow verse, the the one I'd midget. Or he really gives his all on that Urakow line. Yeah, he does. That's he really shouts that, really screams it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this one's worth checking out. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah, it breaks out of the the dark, like brooding model of the original and what the sports version put out, and establishes its own more theatric space. Yeah, to great effect, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a novelty band, though, Alex. Let's talk about Deep Shrot. <laughs> Deep scrot, man. I call them deep scrot so much. Just, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yes, I still think it's funny. Deep scrot. It's yeah, it's funny. It's like deep throat. Can you imagine? Yeah. Imagine if every anonymous informant had to have a weird sexual name. To have a weird sexual name. Uh, I mean, we could give them names. Uh, yeah, we could do that. It's like, like the way we name hurricanes, just after people. It's like oh, the anonymous <laughs> informant, deep scrot. Deep scrot. Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. Uh, yes, it does. Um. 
you'll notice that a lot of these instruments sound familiar because they're all bass saxophones. Yeah, that's so, like you said, novelty group based around the bass saxophone. <laughs> uh, I do like the saxophone. I've, I've said a lot in the past. I yes. still do. Yes. Um, and I think they do, or I guess I should also say, in particular, when the saxophone gets real low. Um, and this is a saxophone that like can only get low. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's cool. Um, there's some kind of pitfalls when you can only play in low frequencies, and that is in particular chords. Right. And I think they mostly avoid those issues. Uh, I yeah, think their chords are like spaced out enough, and it's not like they're playing these huge like seventh chords or whatever, uh, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you don't get that muddiness, so they keep the chords simple and spread them out. Um, so they seem to do a a pretty uh, good job. Plus, as we've mentioned in the original, gets really low. Oh yeah, and that's like a really cool sound, and like they can do that because they just can get really low. Hmm. It's uh, and it is all instruments. There's no vocals here, so you've got mm-hmm. one bass doing the the melody, and then everything else kind of filling out the 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 quote unquote instrumental section. Uh, what is that like? It's a good thing they do is they shorten it to three and a half minutes because six minutes of this would have been way too fucking. Much. Yeah, three and a half minutes was kind of pushing it. Yeah, honestly, it is a pretty repetitive song, and without those lyrics, I mean, we talked about how the riff. Like you could you could play it for five minutes and like yeah, mm-hmm. but, but I mean that's not is, really what they're doing uh, <laughs> exactly. No, they're doing here, but it's a good sound in the original and in other versions we talked about thus far. The <clears throat> instrumentals are richer. They are much. They feel more full than what you can provide with four bass saxophones, or I guess three are probably doing the the instrumental parts. Right. Uh, I wonder if they could have just even something just like a drone in the back, like how the ambient synth worked on the sports version, might have helped fill this out for me a bit more. I I like their concept. I'm curious to listen to some other things they done. They they done. I'm curious to listen to some other things they done. But I <laughs> there was a bit of emptiness here that didn't yeah work for me. There's also like a solo they do. Yes, I was not a fan of that solo. Yeah, and it's personally. I was a fan of them doing something that wasn't repetitive. True, <laughs> the solo doing a solo in itself was not the worst idea. Not I didn't really idea. like the solo itself, though. Yeah, it was. Let me. It's later in the track, isn't it? I didn't write down a timestamp, unfortunately. No. Okay. Yeah, but it is just kind of like. Yeah, it just needs one extra thing, and it's, it's so bad. Because like I was like, wow, if they had like maybe a different instrument in here, that'd be great. <laughs> <And that's not laughs> like one, like one just tenor like, sax, one other, yeah, like a, just a higher saxophone or something. Yeah, I don't know, or piccolo, just not a saxophone. But yeah, but close. I do love their commitment to the bit because we uh, we I we talk about instrumental ones especially these like no-namer ones who just put their shit up on spotify to get a quick hundredth of a cent yeah these these bastards uh (laughs) you know it's like i'm the marimba guy and it's like a whole orchestra and then there's like a synthetic marimba and you go okay well that's not what yeah doesn't seem to be what's happening here no these guys are at least boldly sticking to their their concept they say we are a bass saxophone quartet if you were looking for any other instruments go fuck yourself it's bass yeah. quartet time. I mean, you can do some cool stuff with bass saxophone. There's a, is it um, like too many zoos? There's a guy who plays uh, 
like he's known for playing the the bass saxophone or maybe it's a Barry sax too many zoos z-o-o-z yeah z-o-o-z too many zoos an american music group based in new york city consisting of leo pellegrino the baritone saxophone yeah baritone Max sax Do, actually your head on the trumpet and david king of sludge parks on drums yeah so there's that guy who plays the baritone saxophone and like dances a lot that's fun but it's not oh, yeah. you know just bass saxophones i think the i guess the bass saxophone must be even bigger wow yeah, the, if you look at their album art, I don't know if that's a true to to form illustration, but that's a fucking massive saxophone this dude's holding. Oh shit! Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So it's it's an interesting uh, rendition, but uh, once again, loses a bit of steam. Loses a bit of steam. A bit of steam by the end. Yeah, that's our uh, our classic uh, thing we say. Classic um, saying. Loses classic. a bit of steam. Oh, I guess this one loses a bit of steam. I jumped in, but I lost some steam. Um, you know what doesn't lose steam is the gun poets in the year of our Lord 2014. Something is happening, but you don't know what it is. Yeah, I want the life of an artist, I want the rights of a leader Wanna cut down the harvest, so every night I'm a seeker Need a life of involvement, I'm always seeking out You're right, it doesn't lose steam um, but that's because they're dedicated to peace, love, and justice They're a seven-member live hip-hop band from Ithaca, New York, formed in 2008 Yeah, I-Town, if you will I-Town, they do call that out pretty early <laughs> I didn't write uh, down the lyrics for this, Alex. Did he, I, I'm, I'm kind of half trying to find them online here. And no, I wrote them. I wrote them down, but I didn't understand them all. Um, so Classic what, Mr. Jones. What is this one? No, I mean, I didn't understand the words, not, not the meanings. Um, okay. <laughs> so what is going on in this one? This is a like hip-hop version where it's really an interpolation of Mr. Jones. They take the riff and put it over a hip-hop beat. And that's like the the core of the song. Yes, and, and then they credit, do they perform the, the riff live. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, uh, it's, not it's not just a sample. sample. It not is a sample. them actually playing it. Um, they do have a guy scratching though. That's true. Um, and they also do the refrains, Mr. Jones refrains. Um, I will admit, I didn't. I'm not convinced their their verses that they they rap over it, which there's two. Um. Really, I like thematically. I don't know how much they fit with um, the song. Maybe that doesn't matter. Um, all right. So, what are the words I wrote down? Here Maybe we go. Wait. Somebody called nine one one. It's your boy Jay High in the Rising Sun. I didn't know what he's talking about the Rising Sun because um, they are in Ithaca, New York. Uh, is that where this concert was? Yeah, I looked it up. Live at the Hangar. Okay, so it wouldn't yep, be New Orleans or Japan. <laughs> Two places Rising I Sun, New Orleans? Yeah, the House of the Rising Sun. Oh, yeah, House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, TikTok, and now the time has come for the gun poets. When we hit the stage, you better run for it. Uh, we're here to say, fuck the fame and glory. The dollar signs don't do nothing for me. And while the devil's out there to destroy me, I pick up some paper and a pen, and then I write a story. Now, maybe it was civil disobedience. It wouldn't just be music. We were never really serious. Okay, this was a little bit... Uh, but is it something i wrote theory but i don't know if you're feeling curious so why are we furiously living loving bleeding breathe for this i walk around and got my head up in the clouds and now that down below my and no rather that down below my feet are firmly on the ground let me just add a little it's a k talking there heads line isn't it 
What's that? It's not a talk. That's similar to this must be the place, right? Head in the clouds, feet on the ground. Yeah, I guess it is. Um, here, I am just a hundred something pounds. Every ounce of me has got love for I Town, Ithaca, New York, which refrain. is where they're performing. We get a refrain, uh, and then the second verse. Different now, hang guy. On, can I interject first here? Because yeah, I, here's my see. here's my theory. Um, so they they're on their page. They say they're dedicated to peace, love, and justice. A lot of what he was writing there was about how he's he's it's not for the fame. He's trying to write away from evil and blah, 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 good, be good. Is he yep. using this line to be like, the gun poets are about a revolution of their own, and Mr. Jones doesn't understand that? And people don't understand that. Yeah, I guess anyone can say it. Yeah, like, <laughs> I could see any artist saying that. Yeah. All right, hit me People with don't necessarily verse. understand what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I guess if that's what they're about. Uh, second verse. Same as the first note. Not quite. Um, I want the life of an artist. I want the rights of a leader. Want to cut down the harvest so every night I'm a seeker. I might have some of those words wrong. Uh, been a life of involvement. I'm always seeking out beaches. Uh, with a nice new. Okay, I didn't know this part. So with a nice new something to help show we some. Ble- I didn't get that line. Bleeders, bleeders, bleachers. Hmm bleachers so this is my confident final blow to the okay this is either leeches or legions could be either yeah could be either uh after this disarmament like for blowing the breezes and there's no consequence i'm comatose cold and freezing from coast to coast my exposal regions Uh, those who know where the culture and feel it those who rose to prominence and hit the glass ceiling Mm-hmm. Those who rap for years and see me here and catch feelings, it's a good old-fashioned cat peeling. I don't think that's a real thing. Cat peeling? Hmm, cat peeling, like skinning anyway. a cat? <laughs> I know, right? Like, almost. Uh, but my path is healing. Take these, like, rack opinion steering. Okay. That, that, those words don't sound right together. Um, I never lack opinions to so sit back and just hear, hear me or get mad at my appearance or the impact on the local scene my career has been. That is the second verse. So yeah, I don't think I got all those lines right, but I definitely transcribed something. Yeah, and I, I, I would say, like, ultimately, from what I've grasped from it, it's just kind of like hype-up rap. It's like, we are the gun poets, we are the gun poets, we are the gun poets, and we are about right. being gun poets. And it uses it in the, it uses Mr. Jones to basically identify that sort of, we're the, the moment or whatever, the zeitgeist, yes. and people won't necessarily understand that, but... That's how things are. That's just how it is. It's your problem, yeah. bro. It's not and, my problem. And we need to, you know, you can't let them dismiss you or, or something. Or you can't give up because they, other people don't understand. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, is that all the verses? Yeah, there's just those two verses. And right. then the rest of it is, there's a bass solo. Yes. Um, and then they do a bunch of, um, I think it's just, that's the end. Right? Yeah, they do There's the instrumental section. Instrumental you get a big rock stuff? finish. You get some scratching in there. Um, yeah, so, they, yeah, it's yeah. an instrumental section. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's bass solo, and then there's some guitar. I really liked the guitar sound, actually. On yeah. This. Really good wah on that guitar, and there's some real grit later on. Um, mm-hmm. And then the piano. I mean, Mr. Jones as a hook, I think sounds really good. 
Yeah, I think as a sample, that boom, dun, 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 that's that's an easy hip hop sample. Yeah, they also, I mean, it's, they've sped it up, of course, and it also like it's got a bit of a pop. Like the original is kind of more plotting, like I said. Yeah, and they've kind of like I think it's a bit, you know, like swing it a bit, kind of thing. Yeah, so doing it as a as as live rather than as a, a direct sample, it's also a smart move. Yeah, I think their lyricism is like fine. Right, yeah, I, I wasn't blown away by the verses or anything, but yeah. like I get it, and there's some shout outs to like the place they're in and yeah, from. Yeah, exactly. So right. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, as, as a live performance like structure, it makes sense to me. Um, yeah, instrumentally they sound really good. I like the, I think the the guitar solo was good. I think the, like yeah. you said, the guitar's got a yeah. great tone. I like that there's a bass solo in there. I like that there's a bit of scratching too. It sounds like a great performance, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely has a good sound. And, um, I mean, feel like you don't see a lot of hip hop, large hip hop groups anymore. Maybe it's just me, but I only hear about like single artists. Yeah. You don't really get big. Um, you sometimes get groups for a moment. Uh, I think is Migos a group that was around and then half of them are sex offenders or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't should, know. I should not just be making these fucking accusations. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to cut that maybe, but yeah, like there is some groups that then, you know, they start as a group and then they go solo pretty quickly. True. Or I guess something more like, like Wu-Tang Clan where it's kind of more of a super group situation. Yeah. I don't actually know if that's how it formed originally. I don't know their history enough. But um, like they all have like recognizable names. All I know is Wu-Tang you know? Clan is for the children. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just, I just, I feel like you don't hear enough about I as someone who's reasonably disconnected from, from hip-hop music. Um, don't hear enough about hip-hop groups. Yeah, well, maybe we're just into solo artists right now. Could be. We are in the solo era. Yeah, a lot, a lot of I me mine these days. Am I right, fellas? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of solos, yeah, we got we got Brother Ali in 2017. We do. Uh, he um, is. This is also a hip hop version. Also hip hop. The a very strange white man. His story of existence is perhaps more interesting than his cover, which is a Spotify studio cover to his. True. Yeah. T- you know, to excuse his. His name is Ali Douglas Newman. He's an American rapper, member of the Rhyme Sayers Entertainment Hip Hop Collective. He began rapping at the age of eight. He is an albino. He's a white man, but he is whiter than white. Uh, and then he he says like he found more um like companionship amongst the black community than amongst white people who were quite savage to him. He's like, black people made fun of me too, but they they were nicer about it. But in, in like a, uh, in a nice way. Yeah. Like in a more friendly way, I suppose. Like uh, as a form of camaraderie. Yeah. They, they didn't, you know, chase him down with pitchforks or anything. They, yeah. they were nice. So he got, got into hip hop, I guess, through the people he hung around with. Um, and so now he does hip hop and he does this which is a fairly uh, tame, tame version. Yeah, I mean, we've said this about these like Spotify studios type covers. They don't necessarily do a lot with it unless they're Jack White and just doing like a big guitar solo thing. Yeah. Um. But this is yeah. There's like not a, t- a similar idea to the previous one where you get the like the riff, mm-hmm. the blues riff, and just like put a hip hop beat to it, which is a good sound. Yeah, it's great. Like great it was already cool, and now you can kind of like 
bop to it. Yeah, we we put on these boom bap drums and suddenly, you know, yeah, it's it's much hip. And it's like, yeah, okay, that works. That's generally good. Um, but other than that, it doesn't do a whole lot. Um, it's just like, it's not really... I wouldn't even call it rapping necessarily. No, he like... His delivery is very similar to Bob Dylan's. Yeah, it's... I, yeah, I guess in that sense, like, Bob Dylan doesn't really sing this <laughs> song. Yeah. But, this is a little more talk sung on this track than on the original. Yeah, okay. And it's put Fair through a, this, like, heavy filter. Yeah. Which heavy I thought filter. was a bad choice. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think it would have been better if we got this man, you know, less, with without a filter between us. and. Yeah, I don't know. I was pretty neutral on it, but I was pretty neutral on this version in general. Yeah, um, it kind of comes and goes. I mean, it's... there's not like a ton going on. He he makes a couple changes lyrically, not a lot. Yeah, he, pretty minute. He calls what out the the charity organization specifically, specifically being a five hundred one c three charity organization, yeah. which uh, just means they're like a tax exempt and possibly religious organization. Uh, not not yes. exclusively, because I think they can be educational as well. But I did Google it just to see if like what does that mean. And it's like eh, it kind of means what he said in the original song, but now you're putting a like specific like code on it it's specificity a, yeah that's, i don't even know what you nice call that twist it's like yeah so it fits i guess with his rhythm maybe you just need a little yeah. longer um and then he has a couple ad lib lines like um he says it's bob dylan's words now that's yeah, between at, at verse the second five and last six. verse <laughs> yeah like, it was always Bob. you haven't said anything but bob dylan's words <laughs> um and he kind of sounds like it says you walk into the room like a candle Instead of yeah. a camel, does he? Probably not, but kind of sounds like it. Kind of sound again. Yeah, you know, that filter kind of muddies things yeah. up. Like this is 2017. He should have access to lyrics. Yeah, literally, you can get them off of Bob Dylan's website. I have them right here. BobDylan.com/slash/song/slash/ballad-thin-man/slash slash Dylan again. <laughs> Dylan again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's pretty straightforward. You cover the bit, and he does some yeah. ah, ah ahs between a couple of yeah, some of that ad libbing, and then right at the end he says "done." That's, that's it. it, which is like, I mean, the kind of thing you get at the end where they're like, "That's the take." That's the day. Yeah. Oh, he does a little extra on the the cow lines. He puts that's where he like he gets most of his juice going. Is on the sixth yeah. verse. I just thought like there wasn't really anything in this song that was particularly interesting. None of the elements were really like, oh, that's a good sound or or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Even, because uh, like all the other ones, like this version's okay, but like, oh, and then they play this guitar and the guitar sounds really cool um, at the very least, but this one doesn't really have any of that. So, it's like acceptable. Yeah, it's, uh, it's middle of the road. It's fine. It is a Spotify studio cover in summary. Yeah. But hey, I, li- I like the hip hop beat on it. True, that is uh, actually I, I was I was wrong when I said there were no good things because that is definitely because that good is good. Thing. It's just it's also in the other song, so I forgot. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, especially going back to back on on hip hop covers or you know covers samples interpolations whatever you like yeah. to call it. It's yeah, it's hard to compare these this one to that to the Gun Poets because they do they're much more lively. Um, and now we're getting to a lively dispute of the, the final verdicts here. We are, and I'm sure we will disagree strongly as we normally do. We, yeah, it's always it's a lot of blood and guts spilled in these sections. We've got three categories today. The worst version, the best version, and the version, I'm going to call it the monocle popper. The version most likely to upset a Mr. Jones kind of character. To My upset Lord. a Mr. Jones. Pop his monocle, drops it in his, his fizzy champagne. Um, okay. Alex, what's the worst version of this? 
I think it's I think it's Brother Ali. I didn't hate it, but it's just weaker than the other ones. It doesn't yeah. really have anything to set itself apart so much. It's a good concept. I think there's a really good hip hop version of Mr. Jones somewhere. It, it may exist. It might not, but if it doesn't, it can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a toss-up between Deep Shrot and Brother Alley for being most unremarkable. I will say overall, I think there was a very good quality of covers this week. Mm-hmm. Um, even the ones that hugged kind of close, like, didn't hug that close. Like, the sports brings the same vibe, but in a different genre. Uh, cool Shakers rock and roll on a completely different level. The Gun Poets is fucking hip-hop. Like, they all have a good twist. Just... Deep Shrot and Brother Ali didn't twist hard enough. So uh, between those, though, I commend Deep Shrot for sticking to their bit, being like, it is a <laughs> saxophone. It is nothing else. How dare you suggest we, we put in a tenor sax? So I got to give it to Brother Ali as well. Look at that. An agreement for once what? in the final verdicts. Worst versions, Brother Ali. Um, don't take that too personally, Brother Ali. <laughs> I think you could take that from, if you can take from Spotify Studios and then just rework it. I think it would be a good version for a second draft. Throw a second yeah. draft on there, you'll have something nice. Yeah. Alex, sure. what's the best version of this? Uh, there were a couple of good ones. You know, like you said, high quality, generally. Um, I'll probably give number one to Kula Shaker. I just thought, I really liked the, like, very dramatic delivery. I really liked the... It was just unrelenting and constantly changing. And there were a lot of cool sounds on there. Made me think of the Beatles a little bit. And uh, and they really, they really go for it. Yeah, I think in terms of being memorable, being the furthest from the source while also being like solidly built, they've got it there. It was, I think we're the most excited to talk about that one. It was, uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. I thought it was great. Cooler Shaker, best version. Wow, another agreement. How what? Unusual. Two and one. Two and one. Alex, who's who's upsetting the monarchy, the aristocrats? Who is the most Mr. Jones upsetting ing? It's tough to say. Cause like I was gonna I was thinking deep shot because I was like, oh, it's just like really low frequency stuff, but I feel like people eat that kind of stuff up. Oh, maybe. Um I I could be wrong. You could be I wrong. What I'm talking about. Um it's probably I mean, depends on the time. It's probably the gun poets, because I know a lot of old guard types just don't like samples or interpolation. Right. So they're like, oh, this is stealing. When really, the original song was kind of already interpolating another yeah, song. Yeah, uh, interpolating a Ray Charles song. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, if you don't want to talk about old blues licks, like, yeah, who knows when that originated, That old right? guard like, who's like, oh, this is stealing is also like Led Zeppelin's my favorite band. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, hang on. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's gonna be it. The one that is probably the most removed, because of yeah, the sampling thing. Because of the sound. You know what, Alex? I think we're we're three what? for three on this. What? Cover three me for first. Three. <laughs> three for three. It's the gun poets for yeah for most upsetting to the to the aristocrats. It's like we're not sworn enemies anymore. Strange. What Strange. Am I gonna do? I don't know. It's a it's a revelation here. Uh, listen, folks, if you got different opinions because we don't have them here, <laughs> or even your similar opinions, you want to talk to us about a version we didn't talk about, hit us up on Twitter, hashtag GovernMePod, at Jake the Cressy, at some Alex Wise Guy. Send us your comments, questions, concerns, suggestions for future episodes. Always looking for suggestions. You can also email those. Email those. Email those to us at CoverMePod at gmail.com. 
talk to us there. Be sure to rate and review us. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, um, some other like lesser known podcast ones. I signed us up for a couple more this week because mm-hmm. I found out where there's some we're not on. I've been telling you we're on all of them. I lied, but now we're closer. Uh, tell all your friends about us. We don't have a marketing budget. You are the marketing budget. And then if you get them to market us for you, you still won't make any money, but we'll have more people marketing for us. It's like a pyramid scheme, but nobody wins. Um, that does it for this uh, week's episode. And as we always say on Cover Me, you're a cow. Give me Cover Me or go home.